Hey there, film fans, and welcome to another episode of The Real Take. This week, it's over to you, our wonderful listeners, because we are going to do a deep dive into a movie selected by one of you. Recently, a listener reached out requesting we watch a movie he holds dear, one he feels has been forgotten. I must warn you, things will get ugly this episode. This is not for the faint of heart. Also, it's probably not the episode for those of you not good with confined spaces because the movies we are going to be discussing tonight take place inside armoured tanks. Yes, we are going to the front lines. We are facing a difficult battle and that's just trying to figure out which one of us is actually going to edit this episode. Let's roll titles. Sit down and grab a glass. Sinead Ross and I'll have made a podcast. It's the real take, breaking it down. Having fun and talking movies. Da 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 da, talking movies. Yes, it is the real take, the podcast by film fans for film fans. By the way, please do like and subscribe the real take on your podcast provider, and be sure never to miss an episode. And my comrades. The guys who would throw themselves in front of a hail of bullets for me. Niall and Ross are here. How are you doing, guys? Uh, very well. I think I I wouldn't uh, throw it. I'd be in a, a <laughs> three foot thick steel in, in, encased uh, cocoon. That's where I'd be. I wouldn't be throwing myself anywhere. Okay. Well, in my mind, you're doing this like, you know, very kind of heroically. <laughs> Well, that's great. <laughs> that's much appreciated. So we got a message from a listener, which I am extremely excited about. Maybe we should play this message and give people a bit of an insight into what is going on this episode. Hi, it's Nick here from London. And I just wanted you guys to check out The Beast of War, uh, which is a great little hidden gem from the end of the 1980s and is a sort of uh, action-adventure war film uh, set during the Soviet-Afghanistan conflict that was taking place at the time and is a war film uh, made right around the time when we got Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, uh, Casualties of War. And I think in, in many ways, it, despite being set in a completely different conflict, uh, actually bears probably a lot of resemblance to some of those films as well. Um, so I'd love to hear you guys uh, talk about the film and hear your opinions uh, and I certainly highly recommend this film uh, so yeah that's it basically my recommendation is uh, The Beast uh, aka The Beast of War from 1988 so thanks again uh, stay safe and uh, all the best Nick thanks very much for the suggestion we were delighted to uh to um to hear from you and uh, more than happy to look at the beast from 1988 the los angeles times calls it a murderously efficient brutally effective piece of work the most unusual and absorbing war picture since das boot the performances are remarkable says jeffrey lyons of sneak previews No film this side of Platoon has been more bold and unflinching in showing the explosive nightmares of combat. The Christian Science Monitor. War made him a soldier. 
conscience made him a man. Because only the human spirit can conquer the beast of war. Jason Patrick, Stephen Bauer, The Beast. Now on video cassette from RCA Columbia Pictures Home Video. Yep, really exciting. By the way, can I just say it's very exciting to hear a real live listener. So thank you for that, Nick. It's fantastic. And uh, this is something I had no knowledge about, not a clue. Uh, I have to be honest, guys, war movies, it's not something that I will, as a genre, I suppose, go to. I, I mean, I don't really go to the cinema to see them. I kind of happen upon them, maybe if they're on television, I don't kind of seek them out because, you know, I'm a little bit delicate, maybe. That's it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is a particularly um, yeah, hard-hitting movie, I would say, as well. It's, you know, there's certain scales of war movies, and this one packs a punch. Oh, yeah, definitely does. I was just going to say, I think I'm the only one who's seen this film. I had seen it um, because it was, it, it had, uh, it was a Columbia Pictures movie, and it was a trailer on every tape from Columbia Pictures back in the late 80s that you would rent. So I eventually had to go and rent it. Now, I'm really glad that I got the chance to watch it again because I don't think I really appreciated it when I saw it. But yeah, it's it's a fantastic film. But anyway, spoilers for what I think of it. Yeah, well, <laughs> before we, we say what our opinions are of it, and I know Nick has given us a nice kind of succinct summary there, but Ross, what, what are we thinking? We need to kind of go into this summary a little bit more. Give us an idea of the plot of it. Yes, so it's a 1988 American war film and unusual for an American war film especially one in the late 80s it doesn't um, have any Americans in it I know there are American actors playing a lot of the roles but it's actually focused on um, on the the, the Soviet uh, Afghan war in the in, in the 80s and um, as such all the focus is on characters who are either be portraying Russians or portraying Afghanistanis Afghans. There you <laughs> uh, go. Russian, yeah, Russians or, or, or Afghans. And it's, it was directed by Kevin Reynolds, who we would know from some other big movies, which I think we might, might, might have a little, little bit of a chat about a little bit later on. But it was based um, on a, a play written by um, William uh, Master Simone uh, called Nana Watai, which, which means sanctuary. And um, it's a really important part of, of that of that film. But uh, William uh, Master Simone wrote the screenplay uh, for Kevin Reynolds, and it it, it basically follows a, um, a Soviet tank unit. They they viciously viciously attack this um, Afghan village, which is harboring a group of uh, Mujahideen fighters, um, uh, and they basically destroy the entire village, massacre the people there. Really, really ruthless attack. But on their way, as they're leaving the village, one tank um, takes a wrong turn and ends up going down a blind valley. And of course, some of the people who return to the village to see that, you know, their friends and family have been massacred, um, they're the village completely destroyed, they go out seeking revenge on this one solitary tank that's lost in the Afghan uh, wilderness. Um, leading that gang is Stephen Bauer, who you might know, um, he's actually a Cuban-American actor, but here he's playing an Afghan. You might know him from Scarface, where he played Al Pacino's brother in that. He's oh, kind of all the whole movie, I'm going, how do I know this guy? <laughs> Thank you Is so that... much for that. I had no idea who that was. <laughs> but it's interesting, well, because for a movie that's mainly about 
um you know russian people i there's no russians in this from what i know yeah and uh, afghanistani people so there's no russians in it and there's no afghans in the movie either a lot of the people who are playing the afghan roles are um are you know uh, jewish israelis or um in in steve Bauer's case they're cuban american so <laughs> so it's a bit a bit of an unusual uh kind of setup and it's it, it didn't perform particularly well um at the box office or anything like that but may, it might be because of poor promotion it might be because it wasn't focused on you know an american conflict america was involved in some in, in some regards with the russian afghan war like they kind of funded the mujahideen um but it still has kind of still got a bit of a cult status uh, since it was released in 1988 um, and i think with good reason yeah and one of the reasons i think possibly that it didn't perform well was because of some of the behind the scenes shenanigans that were going on at Columbia Pictures at the time in the uh, late 80s but uh, as you said there Ross Kevin Reynolds was the director this is his uh, third feature movie I think after Red Dawn in 1984 uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves uh, in 1991 he did direct one in between that called Fandango um, and on Fandango which was based on a short film that he directed even before Red Dawn uh, he met a guy called Kevin Costner and they t- they seem to kind of strike up a really good working relationship because not only did he go on to direct him in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, Kevin Costner also produced Rapa Nui from 1994, which is a kind of, it's about Samoan Islanders, I think, or Easter Islanders. Uh, it's a it's a real interesting movie if you get a chance to see it. And of course, the, the flop that we all love, Waterworld from 1995. <laughs> um, and I think actually he's a very underappreciated director. Every like the, the stigma of Waterworld still kind of hangs around him. But I think we all agree it's not actually that bad if you watch it you know, without all the hype that surrounded all the money that went into it and the money that was lost and all that at the time. And he did direct a fairly good, updated version of The Count of Monte Cristo in 2002 with Jim Caswiesel. I don't know if either of you have seen that one. I've heard of it all right. I don't think I've seen it, though, no. that That's a really good uh, a kind of adventure romp, which... Uh, he, he later kind of got a name for those kind of movies, these adventure films. I didn't see that one, but I did see, I think, his next movie. Uh, I'm not uh, He directed I'm not sure if he wrote it. I don't think he did. But it was Tristan and his old, which was partly kind of set in Ireland. And um, it oh, was produced, right. I think, yeah, yeah. with, the, with the, the Scott brothers, Ridley and Tony Scott, uh, with, with James Franco and so- Sophia Miles. And they're doing a astounding, I think, Irish accent. I think she might be from, from London. But uh, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed that movie as well, even though it was like a romantic thing where the Irish people well, were kind of the bad you're guys. The- the only person who saw that. I, I don't know why it was said in Ireland either. Tristan and Isolde are, you know, they're, they're uh, Nordic myths. But anyway, yeah, so like he, it's amazing first feature, 1984's Red Dawn. I mean, have you seen this one? This is a classic of 80s cinema. No. Oh, Red really? Dawn, yeah. yeah. Oh no, my God, yeah, yeah, of course. No. Be right up. And you would like it, I think, as well, Sinead. This is Charlie Sheen, C. Thomas Howell, Leah Thompson from Back to the Future, mm. Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. Before mm. they were dancing dirty, they were in this film <laughs> as a group of high schoolers who have to revolt when the Russians invade small town America. So it's basically like an 80s teen Avengers endgame. Uh, so I definitely <laughs> think you should check that out. It was remade fairly recently. Well, I say recently, probably about five years ago. I don't think the remake is great, but see the original. Go Wolverines! Yeah. Okay. And then, and, and the remake they had the they had the 
they went instead of having the Russians invade, which they did in the '84 original. I think they had North Korea invading the they United did. States, yeah, which is yeah. which is even more unbelievable. <laughs> well, they couldn't make it China because they had to sell the film there. <laughs> and then in 1988, he made this film called The Beast or The Beast of War, depending on where you see it, because there were a lot of kind of production shenanigans that went went on behind the scenes and I might talk about it after we talk about the film but uh, yeah so a brutal look at how men behave during the times of war um, so I don't know what who Sinead what did you think? Well I watched this straight after our other homework for this episode um, <laughs> which was my other my other pick um, and I will kind of compare a bit uh, between the two in, in, in a little while but I my God, there was so many bits. First of all, that opening that Ross is talking. What about that opening? I mean, straight away, you're just like brought into this action. It is brutal. And not only are they making sure, you know, that everyone's mown down in their path when they go through here with the tank, but they're making sure that not even a house uh, will be remaining standing. They they blow towards the whole lot of it. And um, there's a fairly brutal scene that I actually had to turn away from because I could just imagine the excruciating pain on the feet alone I think you might know what I'm talking about where um, they uh, this lovely commander what's his name Daskal is it is that is how I pronounce it Daskal, Daskal. Yeah, Daskal, yeah. Um, it, it commands one of the officers to, there's a, there's a guy obviously that's left that's, I suppose, speaking out against them, uh, one of the, the Afghan village men. He gets him to lie down and place his feet up on the, the tracks of the of the tank and I just was like that's all I could see I could imagine mm. I could imagine the rest of it and then we see the remains if you could even call it that um later on when when the the guys come back to discover that the village has been has been massacred like this is not shying away from war in all its bloody gory violence like you know which is I kind of I don't know why naively I was kind of su- surprised and, and maybe not expecting that um you know, I thought maybe it might be something that's a bit more maybe, I don't know, I definitely just wasn't expecting that particular uh, gruesome scene anyway. So um, you, you you knew we were you, we were watching a, a film called The Beast and you thought maybe it wasn't... Uh, well, like, I, I think just not as, not as kind of close-up brutal or something. I, I was expecting, obviously, right. gunfire and all that kind of crack, but I just didn't think it would be... I, I, did, I wasn't expecting that particular scene and it kind of it kind mm. of stuck with me. But um, it, it's really a revenge movie, yeah. as, as Ross said. And I think, like... It's it's interesting that it's based on a play because I don't know about, about you guys, but there's kind of this morality going through the whole thing, particularly um, with Jason Patrick's character in this, where, you know, he's fighting on the side of the Russians, but he has this... Spoilers! Kind of, spoilers! Well, no, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say he has this, you know... Well, he, he crisis, plays I he suppose. plays the driver, doesn't he? He's the yeah. driver of the Kovachenko. tank. Kovachenko, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, he... he's kind of the idealist and he... You know, he's the, you've got this Commander Daskal who's kind of the Captain Ahab, if you like, oh. and he gets increasingly un, unhinged as 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 it goes on. But just before you get into the meat of the film, I guess, just that opening, I just wanted, yeah. because you, you talked about it so well there, mm. but I was watching it going, this could be in a Mad Max movie, this could yes. be in a sci-fi yeah. movie, like mm. it, because this these people start off their day, you know, the bell rings, everybody gets up and suddenly, uh, you know, they hear, first of all, the screech, I think, of, of Russian fighter jets. And then these these tanks roll into town and just decimate the place. Mm. And they might as well be shooting lasers at people with yes. bows and arrows because mm. it is just so 
the 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 carnage that that they that they actually incur on this village um and it really sets up the film then for for what happens later on as as you were saying there the idea of it's it's a revenge story that that you've got people who discover what what this tank has done and, and they you know the idea then i guess that the name of the film is the beast mm. it's like a moby dick story that they're after this almost um what would you say um not supernatural but ultra natural kind of thing this creature you know mm. that that yeah. that has that has destroyed their 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 family and their their village so but anyway, yeah. So the, the 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 characters in this beast that that is what's interesting, I guess, as well. And that's where the play comes from. These these the interplay between these characters. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I you know, you, you you have like this kind of like they're supposed to be. Uh, and again, this will go back to kind of the pick that I watched before this. But um, they're supposed to be, you know, this brotherhood, this shared experience of the horrors of war. But slowly but surely, because of this crazy commander, uh, this brotherhood starts to, there's cracks, there's straight away. They're not this strong unit working in the one direction for the one cause. You know, it, it kind of, things become fractured, you know, very, very quickly. And what I loved kind of about this as well, you have this crazy juxtaposition of this crazed, paranoid Soviet tank commander who's kind of, you know, on a, on a, I don't know, a, just a mission to wipe out everybody. Um, and then on the other, you have the Afghan rebels who believe that they are these instruments of Allah. Like they're literally saying things like we are stones in the sling of Allah. You know, they're kind of hurling themselves kind of recklessly into battle as well. My, my thoughts on the opening, um, it's, it's, it's a very, very brutal and um, maybe shows the horrors of war or in the case of the, 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 the commander of, of the unit, um, uh, George de Zunda, who plays Daskal, it maybe shows what an effect being in a war for a long time maybe has on the human psyche and what it'll drive people to do. Like he is clearly going through, <laughs> a, a, you know, a bit of a mental breakdown. And, um, you know, if you have a mental breakdown at home, that's fine. But if, if you're behind a tank, then maybe things can go differently. But one thing that makes it very difficult for me, the opening scene is Jason Patrick commits a, a horrific war crime which we kind of alluded to there he is he is kind of pushed to do it from his commanding officer Daskal but it it's still it, it's hard to get over that I find mm. and he does end up being in quote marks here one of the heroes maybe of the movie um, but it's and even as the film goes on and he becomes a much more sympathetic character um, like we see him certainly having kind of a, a lot of conversations with uh, Erica Vary, who is well he's an Indian um, American actor but he plays uh, a native Afghan who has kind of joined the Russians and, and is kind of giving them intelligence so they try to make Jason Patrick more sympathetic um, but I, I still find it very very hard to get over the horrific scene we see at the uh, at the introduction of the film and it's hard to get over his part in it yeah, yeah. oh totally maybe maybe we'll talk a little bit later on about because they're all war movies obviously that we're going mm -hmm. to be talking about today they're all about tanks but um about 
um you know are there are there any heroes in war really or certainly in some films you know yeah oh well, do you know what that's really interesting that you brought that up because that's just what i was going to say i was going <laughs> to say you're fine you find it really hard to be on anyone's side or sometimes i found my alliance shifting i'm like i'm totally with this side and then oh no what about these guys and it's just like they're yeah i think you're right now like like who are the heroes and that's the question and you know as you mentioned, Ross, as well, you know, Jason Patrick, he does this really horrific thing at the start. Then you kind of, does he redeem himself? Maybe you kind of see him grappling with this conscience the whole conscience the whole time. Um, but let's just be honest. Uh, I am not sympathetic towards Daskal at all. He oh, needs God, to just, no. you know, no, yeah. like get, get away from that tank. But um, um, and it's just this really, it's almost bizarre kind of when they start to run after the tank and kind of try to see, can they... I suppose, smoke the, the the Soviets out, I suppose, you know, and it's just like I was looking at this going, this is just bizarre, this whole scenario, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's a great scene again in that opening where the women of the village just jump yeah. on the tank and start bashing it with stones, you know, but uh, it doesn't go well for them. No, it doesn't. But I thought that they were kind of portrayed as, you know, quite... Like they were, they, they these women were strong. They wanted yeah. to fight back. You know, they weren't afraid. Uh, they were quite, you know, they were quite like fearless, flinging themselves as you as you say on the tank. I I just thought it was interesting watching this movie because it's interesting to see war movies from America about other countries. Like obviously, most American war movies have America involved, and you know. The Americans are the heroes in those movies. Um, but it's interesting to see, especially when they put their, uh, you know, when they release movies in, in the 80s about the uh, the Russian-Afghan war, because obviously they were they were funding the Mujahideen. So that's going to influence uh, influence uh, any American There's only one it. film I can think of. Are you going to reference it? Are you going uh, to steal think... what I was going to talk about at the end? Let's, let's, let, I'll, let you, I'll let you take it. Okay, well, before, before I, that, I saw I that say, and I was like, I want oh, to no, hear what you that. thought about the film, though. I, don't, I, I want to hear what you thought about the film before okay, we talk to about the film. It's, it's interesting to see Americans, um, you know, in this case, um, making a movie where the Mujahideen, for are the most part, are the heroes. Although, mm. Although it is kind of ambiguous and, you know, no one's really completely innocent. Um, and, you know, only a few years later, they'd be having those kind of fighters as the the villains in movies. So it's just interesting how movies about war changed as America's foreign policy does. Yeah, no, I, I definitely saw that as well. And I just, you know, I, I'm with you on that. And I found, like I said, you know, it was it's very difficult to kind of be like, who is the hero? Which side am I on here? And I found myself moving over to the Afghan side a lot and kind of going, mm. hang on, this is not the usual way these movies work out. Yeah. Um, but uh, Niall, well, what, yeah, what did you was, think of watching it again? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it was so long since I'd watched it and I don't know, like I say, this was, I don't know if it was a push because it had done so badly in the cinema. It was the trailer that was in front of every uh, Columbia Pictures VHS that you'd, that you'd, uh, that you'd rent mm. and therefore I rented it. Like I say, I was probably a little bit too young to see it or a bit to looking for something a bit more I was a bit too confused going I want to see something much more adventurous something much more kind of heroic where I can as you say where I can go this is the hero this is the bad guy whereas this is like well this shifts the entire time and everybody seems to be a little bit of both um, so uh, what it did what I did really enjoy watching it again was I was reminded about 
how good a director Kevin Reynolds can yeah. be and how good it looked. I mean, I'm never going to go to Afghanistan, <laughs> but my God, I felt like I was there and I felt like I was in this tank. But Kevin Reynolds really knows how to effectively tell a story. And even whether it's like these shots, wide shots in the valley of, of a tiny tank by itself moving across or tight shots in the tank of these characters interacting with each other, He's a really assured director. And like I say, this was only his third film. Yeah. Um, but he really, really does a great job. You can see kind of, I'd love to read the play. I often say this when it's a film based on a play. I'd love to read the play to kind of see how they dealt kind of with the, you can see kind of the tension of them all in this tank, how that would be the play. But how all of the other things that happen outside, how would that be portrayed, you know, on stage? Um, but uh, I don't know. Um, the actors really, I think, is again apart from uh, Kevin Reynolds, the actors are what make this film. Um, Stephen Bauer, um, as Ross said from Scarface, uh, he does a really good job as the the Pashtun leader, Kantaj. But you know, it we can't really say if it was this film was made today, it wouldn't be a Cuban American actor. No, and this is it. No. This is in a this is in a film where the entire Russian tank crew are entirely played by American actors. But for see, some I got reason, confused. I was like, aren't these guys supposed to be Russian? And why are they speaking right, in kind of English right. slang? Aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> I was they going, are, and there on? are a lot of like there there are a lot of um, uh, American idiosyncrasies in mm. the way that they talk to each other. They don't kind of try to make it sound like. But I, I, in a way, I kind of think that's what they were after. They were trying to go. These are the home team, if you like. Yeah. And you know, they weren't kind of they they weren't saying these these are the uh, the proxies. These are the home team. These are, if you like, America has done exactly what these guys are doing yeah. all over the world <laughs> since time since they had a, a military industrial complex, I guess. Um. Uh, but you know the Russian tank crew all five of them and I'm really glad that you brought up Eric Avari there because um, I'm not going to say what happens to him in it but he's an actor I think if you don't know his name you really know his face because he's been in lots of movies he's Star a bad guy games. isn't he he, he really is and I, I don't want to say it but he's kind of if you're looking for an eastern kind of an actor with a really sonorous voice and he's going to be a bit learned this is the guy that you cast so Often he's kind of a not not even a cameo, but a, a kind of a background player. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed watching him in this because he has a, such a fleshed out character, and he is so good in the role of Samed. Um, Stephen Baldwin in a really early part mm. from him it was great to see him playing against type usually he's the smirking kind of guy like from Usual Suspects but in this he's he's kind of the youngest naive member of the crew if you like and an actor called Don Harvey who is really good and still working like he's been in Better Call Saul yes. um, kind of recently yeah. and he is just repellent in his role as Kaminsky the gun uh, the gunner and you know you just kind of go oh if there is another bad guy apart from um, Daska in this then it's probably him but uh, he uh, would go on the year after this it's funny um, he would go on to play a role in Casualty of, of War which is almost exactly like this and often I think we'll talk about war movies in general maybe a little bit but often they're not talking about the war that they're set in if no. you like so yeah. this is the Afghanistan war but it could be transposed to any war Vietnam anyway, War, yeah. whatever, and you can see it's it's really about these characters and these men in this situation. But um, the other two great, I think, performances in this: Jason Patrick, 
Um, now, people, if people hold still hold a grudge against Jason Patrick for Speed Two, it's time to forgive him. <laughs> it's time to say, you know, he brings Remember great sleepers depth as well. Remember, I mean, yeah, Lost there Boys. we go. Well, yeah, I think yeah. Lost Boys was everyone was going. Lost Boys is great. Then they saw Speed Two and it was like, we hate you, we hate you. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just because he replaced Keanu. I don't know what you think, Shanice. Oh yeah, no one can replace Keanu. You know, I wouldn't like, say he really re- replaced Keanu uh, as as much as played the exact same character with a different <laughs> name. <laughs> but anyway, he. I think he's a he's a fine actor. He's not really been in anything good recently. Sleepers, of course, is great as well. But if you if you have doubts about his acting ability, then see this mm. film because I think he's great. Brings great depth to this. You know, it could be a real wet fish of a character. You know, mm. the the guy who's there kind of going, eh, we can't do this. You know, I'm I'm the moral guy. I'm the, the idealistic guy. But you really kind of put yourself in his. Uh, in his kind of shoes and then I'm not going to give away what happens at the end but my god I think it's a great arc for that character that you've been following the whole time but um, really the reason to watch this film is uh, George Dunza Uh, he is and Mm. no pun intended he is the driving force behind this beast (laughs) I wrote that and I said that's great Niall you have to (laughs) 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 it's the best thing you're going to say about this film yeah no he 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 is uh you know the 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 he relishes that kind of i suppose repulsive kind of brute of of a character he he's really yeah, kind yeah. of relishing and the role you did know did you did you recognize him oh yeah okay because like he had been in lots like crimson tide mm. uh, basic instinct but he he is slim he was slimmed down so much in this he really looks when i watched it the first time and even now I was kind of going, my God, he just doesn't look like he does in all these other movies because he's usually like the, you know, the kind of boisterous big guy kind yeah. of going, hey, how are you? That kind of a character. Completely different than this. Completely different. Yeah, it just goes to show kind of the way people's careers go. But like, yeah. you know, you mentioned it there as well, um, Niall, you know, this this idea of all of the characters in this tank together and kind of what happens. I mean, I suppose like it's, like for me like i mean a tank is supposed to be like you know oh we're unstoppable we're going to be totally protected it's going to be grand but like they're sitting ducks an awful lot of the time uh you know in in this movie and you're kind of going oh jesus you need to and your man uh uh, the dascal character he is not giving up this tank can we just (laughs) he's very much like a he's like very much like an old school kind of um Cap- captain of a ship yeah a go- mm, captain goes down mm. with a ship kind of mentality he can tell yeah. it's his kind of baby <laughs> you know yeah and i i mean pr- uh, correct me if i'm wrong but the movie that i'm going to be talking about and i think the movie that you're going to be talking about and i think the movie you're going to be talking about ross <laughs> as well is that these tank commanders have real kind of connections with their yeah. tanks don't yes, they sometimes absolutely. they are healthy and sometimes they are unhealthy. <laughs> we put it that way. But Dascal is certainly an unhealthy one, I think. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And before yeah. we move on to the tank, uh, the tank discussion. Um, so <laughs> thanks very much for that, Nick. Yeah. Um, um, I, I just want to say, I, and I, we were talking about it a little bit earlier on, about Americans' foreign policy in movies. And you you had in mind a particular movie set in the 80s during well, the, it came out the, the same app. year, same yeah. year as this film, which is Rambo 3, where Rambo goes to help the <laughs> Mujahideen and uh, the Taliban. I think they're actually name checked in the film. He goes, he gets sent over and he f- fights against against the Russians with these freedom fighters as they were being painted uh, at the time. Um, the Taliban, you know, I mean, yeah, 
watch it. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite, it's quite astounding how quickly things yeah. change around for you know america you know and it's yeah. it's weird how 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 strong like like to be fair hollywood you know it's a propaganda machine uh, as strong as any other propaganda machine that you'd hear about you know and like the american government do have a bit of an input in the the movie industry so you know just it's always good to keep in mind when you're watching american movies especially american yeah. war movies that you're kind yeah. of being I, I, force I, I fed think, their foreign policy as well i i think it's more just studios thinking what will people connect with and that's why i i wonder i mean i think we all enjoyed this film didn't we oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. very much and so, yeah. and it was a a, 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 a like it's not known now I mean mm. we had we had to have somebody say would you talk about this it's certainly something that I haven't thought about since I saw it on VHS um, and I think one of the reasons is because Columbia Pictures buried it basically um, because what was happening with Columbia Pictures at, at the time David Putnam the, the English producer who would be well known from Chariots of Fire he became head of Columbia Pictures in 1987 right and he when he took over and I only really discovered this because I was recently rewatching or watching for the first time I should say um some of the movies by the female director uh, Elaine May and one of oh, her yeah. films was Ishtar which is famous as a huge flop and that was a Columbia Pictures movie and what happened Ishtar was a uh, came out in 1987 so Putnam had taken over Columbia Pictures in 1986 he didn't like Ishtar because he was very vocal about the type of movies that he wanted Columbia Pictures to start making and um, he wanted them to be not I, I don't know what the word you would say not I don't know if not popular is but he wanted them to have more depth I suppose so Ishtar didn't get a huge push from him there was trouble on the film he didn't get he didn't give it a lot of support and Ishtar I think possibly might have done a little bit better if as the head of Columbia Pictures he'd given it a bit of a a bit more of a boost or a bump if you like but he was only head of Columbia Pictures from June 1986 to September 1987 and that would have been mm. around the time that the Beast of War which I think was the first title that it was it was going to be released under that so he greenlit it he gave the okay for it to go and yeah i think you can look at it it's a it's a it's an action movie if you like but it's got a little bit more depth than your mm. average action movie and i think it's more the kind of film that he was interested in making if he'd stayed longer at columbia pictures but as i say his tenure there was barely a year a year and a little bit um, the next person who took over was uh, uh, somebody called Don Steele and they were not usually what happens when somebody takes over with a studio they're going to go well what did my predecessor like yeah. for, and they'll for say, a year <laughs> yeah and then they'll say well forget about those let's bury those it got a really really small release in, in screens and has since gained a kind of a cult following because I think it is a really good film and I, I, I'm i sure you can find it you can rent it on YouTube you can yeah. I would really recommend if you like war films if you like uh, you know gritty kind of movies where as we say there's no real clear kind of good guy or bad guy this is a really good uh, good um, example of it but I think it is a case. The reason we don't know it now is because of all the stuff behind going on behind the scenes with Columbia Pictures back then. Yeah, the war is full of moral ambiguity and this film really represents that.
Yeah, it definitely does. And like even, you know, as I said at the outset, I'm not a huge fan of war movies and I thoroughly enjoyed this. Like, you know, you really are. It's quite gripping. As you said, Niall, you know, it is quite um, adventurous, As but it's not just kind of lets everybody shoot each other. There's a lot kind of going on with it. You know, there's a lot of intelligence going on with this. There's a lot kind of to think about and it really kind of. It'll make you kind of question, you know, as you mentioned, that the the war movies, you know, that that have come after it and th- that are still being made today. Um, so definitely, definitely seek yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Columbia Pictures, who who made uh, Beast of War, they also made another uh, tank film, which I think you're going to be talking about now, Sinead. So I don't know if Columbia Pictures is just really into tanks. <laughs> they do. They like a good tank movie. Uh, you know, as I mentioned at the start at the start of this, I, I watched my pick first and then I watched Beast of War and I was kind of seeing similarities and kind of comparing them. And as you, you mentioned, Niall, yes, Columbia Pictures. And the movie that I'm going to talk about is from 2014 and it's by David Ayer and um, it's Fury. And I hadn't seen this at the time in the movie, in the cinema, sorry. So I literally just caught this a couple of nights ago. So it's written and directed by David Ayer and it stars Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf. Um, I'm trying to think, jo- Jason Isaacs is in there, Scott Eastwood as well. And essentially this film portrays US tank crews fighting in Nazi Germany during the final weeks of the European uh, kind of section, I suppose, of, of World War II. And Ayer was influenced really by veterans in his family, speaking to them, and also by reading books as well, such as a book called Death Traps, which was by a guy, Belton Y. Cooper. And he was kind of very intrigued uh, by American armoured units in World War II and the high casualty rates suffered by these tank uh, crews in Europe. So that's kind of the a little bit of background on it for you. Essentially, it's kind of it's early April 1945 and the Western Allied invasion of Germany meets it's kind of like Hitler's last stand, maybe. Um, and it's really depicting the, the horrors of war uh, at this time. And it re- makes for really grim viewing. Like, I mean, if I was looking away at that scene at the start mm. of <laughs> the Beast of War, you can definitely um you know, see why I'd be looking away a lot in this. It's got that kind of men in great peril thrill uh, that you might see uh, in a movie like The Beast that that you know we we were we've been just discussing. But as well, you really feel like the characters are, are going through sheer and utter hell without any let up throughout. Uh, even the moments that are supposed to be kind of light have you kind of tense. You're waiting for the the next kind of explosion or something to kick off. You know, so. Brad Pitt plays War Daddy Collier. He's the battle-scarred commander of a 2nd Armoured Division tank crew who have fought tooth and nail from North Africa to Normandy and now find themselves in endgame Germany, facing the total chaos of of Hitler's last stand, as I mentioned. Um, And there's a lot that you could kind of pair and contrast with uh, Brad Pitt's War Daddy and uh, Dascal from um, The Beast. One of their crew, so it happens at kind of the opening, one of their crew redecorates the inside of their tank with his face, (laughs) essentially. And boyish clerk Norman, played by Logan Lerman, he's sent to clean up said face and replace the face in the tank. <laughs> um, so show us, you know, I mean, like, seriously, this guy's face, I was not expecting bits of face to be Have in Have you the seen tank. a David Ayer film before? <laughs> I, I love to. 
He loves to do yeah. this stuff. And it's very much, you know, showing us the horrors of the battlefield through the eyes of an innocent, you know, who has no clue even where the front is. I mean, he even kind of says, where's the front, you know, to the guys and they're looking at him like he has about 10 heads. Collier tells him, I think there's a, a quote in it where he says, you know, ideals are peaceful, history is violent. And he says, you know, you must learn to put aside this pacifist kind of... Uh, notions that you have and mow down them Nazis god damn it saying and say die motherfuckers like you mean it kind of thing you know uh, so that's kind of where he's coming from um, but Fury takes no prisoners in, in terms of graphic detail arms legs heads being uh, you know severely severed I, I kind of was comparing Brad Pitt's character in, to another of his Nazi hating characters that he portrays as well. The Nazi scalp collecting character that he plays in Tarantino's and Glorious Bastards as well. But in this one Although uh, War Daddy likes killing Nazis, uh, pieces of him seem to die along with each kill that he makes as well. He's, you really kind of get the suffering and the, the kind of it's damaging his soul kind of, you know, uh, you get that sense. Um, but you've scenes of prisoners being shot in the back, women serving as the spoils of war. And this is all kind of juxtaposed then with kind of, you know, Bible quoting Shia LaBeouf, who I thought actually was you know quite good in this yeah yeah I think he was on his third comeback now I'm yeah. not sure what comeback he's on at the moment I and really actually, hope that kid gets to work things out do you know as a segue as you've mentioned there comeback he is an amazing movie called Peanut Butter Falcon that's uh, oh, on yeah, Netflix yeah. right now and he's excellent yeah. in that he's brilliant really, really that's good. a great film unfortunately yeah. he's also had a scandal since then yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but, you know, we're not going to go into that. No, we're not going to no. go into that. To be fair, um, when, he, when he wants to, when he when he turns up and when he... he, he be an he's a fine actor. actor. Yeah, he is a, a fine actor. actor. He, really, he really is. All of the action is, is building up to this, you know, I suppose, final sequence, which is kind of like a thrilling shoot to the death, almost Wild Wild West kind of style, um, where the crew refused to give up the fight as the Nazis swarmed the tank. And it's probably one of the best battle sequences that you will see. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, that, that aspect of it. There's also a really good scene, and maybe I might play a little bit, actually. There's, a, I suppose, a reprieve break in the battle and the War Daddy and Norman, everybody's kind of, I suppose, celebrating that, you know, Hitler is surrendering or whatever. And uh, they, they're they celebrating the victory and they're very much kind of, they're, they're celebrating with drinks and they're, you know, rounding up women and whatever they're doing. But there's a scene where War Daddy and Norm go into a uh, house and there's two German women and all they want to do is be civilised. But when they go in there, initially I was thinking, war daddy is going to maybe do something nasty i just wasn't sure kind of what was going on but he actually just wants a bit of normality and he asks the lady there can you know can he have a bowl to, sh to shave and wash himself up and kind of look respectable and you know he produces these eggs from a box and asks them to to cook up the eggs and all he wants is a decent meal where he looks good and it's let's sit down civilized at the table and let's chat. And here's a little bit of that. Special gal, she down there, she waiting on you. All you gotta do is come on down. She wide open, just jump on in. Yeah, she looks a little bit like a whore, but what? I think maybe we too late, whore. 
Norman? What did you do? Norman, you sneaky snail. What did you do? Wait a second. Did you cut this pretty young thing for a roll? Yeah, it's real pretty. You do that? What's it? What's with your lip? What's with your lip? Why quiver? Don't worry about me. I'm a friend. He fucked you, he fucked me. That's how it works. You gotta pass the plate. Come on, make a donation to the cause. Don't touch Keep it. Don't touch it. Don't, don't touch ever it. fucking tell me what to do. You think you get some pussy and I can fucking act like a man? Anyone touches a girl to get their teeth kicked in. Then, of course, you know, th this is short-lived because I suppose the beasts... <laughs> is, the, it, is, it, is it short-lived, though? Sorry. <laughs> that scene, I just remember it going on for like half an hour, that scene. Oh, but I just loved it. I <laughs> oh, loved that scene well, because it's just... It was a bit just... of a reprieve from the violence. Yeah, and, and it was and just this... In a, in a, yeah, well, like, I mean, I don't know if, if David Ayer is just good at doing, like... Oh, I just felt it really overstated. Well, it's welcome. Anyway, look, that's what I'm, I think about it, but you go go ahead. No, that's your that's your that's your view. But no, I, 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 I yeah, I no, I loved it because I just you know even though I I know what you're saying, like you know, like I I think it was maybe just this way of really you know ramping up that kind of is there going to be something that's going to happen here? Um, I'm waiting. It's it's all going a bit too nicey nice. I'm waiting for something really grim to happen, kind of thing. It doesn't sound like you're having much of a reprieve then. Well, yeah, but, but what I mean is not me having the reprieve, more so okay. the characters they in, in were, war yeah, kind of thing, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, of course, the, the the beasts arrive in the door. The rest of the crew arrive in the door, uh, and and things are are very much uh, sullied, let's say, and, Back, and the mood oh, okay. sours and everything else. Um, but again, you know, it, I think that scene really sort of portrays as much as like the the violence and say heads being severed and all that kind of stuff uh, you know and you know say uh the commander forcing norm to to shoot the the nazi in cold blood and all that's kind of portraying the horrors of war for me this kind of really brought it down to what it's all about in terms of what's going on in these guys psyche that psyche they can't even sit down and kind of be normal you know, like they can't appreciate the simplicity of this nice domesticated scenario. They have to fuck it up. Like, do you know mm. what I mean? Have you, you've seen it, Ross, have you? Yeah, I, I actually went to go see it in the cinema when it, when it came out. And um, I remember a lot of people at the time were impressed with it. I wasn't that impressed with it, to be honest with you. It seemed to me, um, it's a very cruel movie. Very, mm. very cruel movie. And it seems I would to agree, me, yeah. Yeah, to relish in that cruelty. Um, you know, all the characters are dark and, um, the, you know, it's kind of, they've gone beyond the point of redemption, I think. Um, and, it, you know, sometimes in movies like Platoon or something like that, where there's a particularly hitting scene because of its cruelty or its malice, it really impacts you. Whereas this one, I think I'm so worn down by the fact that they are all, they're all start off so cruel, except, of course, for the, the you know, the... Um, the Norman. Actor died, Norman. Norman, yeah, Norman, yeah. Logan Lerman, yeah. Besides him, and it it just it, it to me it it seemed to really just relish in the cruelty and and, and it didn't it didn't uh, invite you to maybe take away a lesson from that in the way I think other war movies might. Um, so I I didn't enjoy it myself. Um, personally, I I I, I haven't watched it since it came out though in the cinema. Um, now did you see it? Yeah, and I I haven't watched it since it came out either. And mm. uh, the two things that stood out were that. I thought far too long dinner kind of scene that it didn't it it almost didn't earn and the reason I think it didn't earn it was because 
of the other thing that I remember is that I didn't like any of the characters and I even would say I didn't really like Norman because I've kind of I've seen that kind of character before in better mm. films mm. if you like um, yeah I, I just felt like they, they I didn't care first of all if they died or not because they were all mm. horrible <laughs> yeah <laughs> and maybe if you kind of got more of a like it's got a fantastic cast and they all do really well i i really would put this at the at the feet of david Ayer as the the director really is that you don't you you get to see the the savagery that is required but that savagery then um it transfers to how they treat norman when he comes in so mm. each one of them are horrible to him and you kind of go you don't care then if 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 the tank blows up and if I think a more skilled director was there, he would go even just even if it's not in the script, we need the camera to show us a little bit more of the humanity of these people. And then when they do have that scene, which I still think half an hour is too long of of respite of of going into this house and being civilized. I think if even, you know, if, if we did see a little more more of their humanity as a pro, as opposed to this kind of uh, savagery that they've had to put on because of war then when they did get to that half hour scene in in the house with the with the uh, the two women that you would just have allowed it more a little or I would have allowed it more I still think half an hour is probably too long though well I would I would agree with you in the sense that you don't like any character and you well I think maybe like, I think I would maybe disagree in terms of, you know, them not showing their humanity. Like, there's a bit, and you kind of don't expect it, it's near the start, where Brad Pitt's character, he's talking and he's talking all business, and, you know, his, um, one of his, isn't it, his, his co-driver, co-pilot, or whatever you call them, the other driver, basically, the guy whose face redecorates the inside of the tank at the start, um, he you know, obviously has had this gruesome end and uh, he goes over after he talks to the officers when he arrives back at base, he goes over and crouches down and nearly kind of collapses and breaks down for a minute um, at the side of the tank. And I don't know, that moment was a bit heart-wrenching for me, to be honest, because he has to keep everybody together. He yeah. has to make the difficult decisions, you know. He has to, you know, say, okay, guys, brush yourselves down and keep going. And he knows that there's not going to be a happy ending. And he knows that he has to lead these young guys who have families, who have wives at home um, through this. And that moment for me, I thought, oh, no, I, I really felt that he was a character that you would kind of feel for, particularly in that moment. Um, the other is like Shia LaBeouf's character, you know, as I mentioned, he, he's such a great actor in this. And, um, you know, although he is Bible bashing, I kind of thought there was a bit of humanity in him because even he sits down, he kneels down on the battlefield and he helps an enemy die, essentially, in a kind of a nice way. He says, you know, uh, do you believe or, you know, and he kind of lets him, he's dying anyway. So he kind yeah, of shows gives him, him he shows him some comfort. So that mm. to me is showing, you know, humanity in, in the real like uh, horrors of war. You know, maybe I don't know what you're, you you think that the, the scene went on too long. I thought it was a brilliant piece of acting. I thought that scene was fantastic. I thought it was really well played out. I mean, when the guys come in and you know, they, they start taunting the, the girls and they, you know, throw the food round and they do all this. I just thought, 
whatever they've done in the battlefield, I kind of can't forgive them for this part more or something, you know? Perfectly good eggs wasted. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel guilty because, uh, like like uh, I said, I haven't seen it since it came out. You have you have valiantly defended it. Ah, uh, thank you. It, when it's on <laughs> yeah. TV next time, I will set a reminder and I will watch it again. Yes, it's a movie I have to give a watch to again. Absolutely. So who's going? Uh, Ross, you're next, are you? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, the first two movies we talked about there, The Beast from 1988 and Fury from 2014, both very um, serious movies. Both, uh, yeah, both, <laughs> they get you thinking. Grim. They're both very cruel. They're both very <laughs> grim. So for my tank movie, I decided to go for something a little bit lighter. <laughs> I went for a, for a 1970s Kelly's Hero and it's Kelly's Heroes and it's it's actually a movie I had really 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 fond memories of watching as a child and like you guys know me I usually have a terrible awful awful memory but I have just the most vivid memories of watching this movie uh, as a kid and um, now obviously like a lot of movies involving tanks this is a war movie <laughs> but I think in actuality it's probably more of a thinly veiled western uh, at its core and um, the movie, for people who haven't seen it, it follows a ragtag bunch of American soldiers who decide to go AWOL to rob a bank behind enemy lines, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Brilliant. Um, uh, so to set the scene a little bit, uh, we are in semi-occupied France in 1944. So like Fury, it's it's probably the, coming near tail end, tail end, tail end of the war in Europe, and um, the Allied troops are pushing back the Germans. Um, I know Scott Eastwood was in was in Fury, mm. um, and his his dad Clint Eastwood uh, is is in Kelly's Heroes. He plays the. No, I'm not familiar with him. Who is he? <laughs> <laughs> he was in. He was in. Let me see. Oh, you'd, you'd <laughs> yeah. know him. You'd know him. He's one of those guys. <laughs> uh, one of them was that guy those guys yeah was he in the film with the orangutan that's <laughs> yeah that's him <laughs> he was in Space Cowboys ah there we go yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know him from that uh, but he plays the titular Lieutenant uh, Kelly and he's part of a group of US, sol US soldiers that have just been fighting on the, the front line, seemingly never ending. Uh, it seems like they've been up the front for such a long time that they're completely jaded with war. You know, explosions going off around them, bullets being shot, doesn't seem to phase them. And um, his company leader, his company's leader is uh, called Big Joe, and that's played by Telly Savalas. Um, and he's just brilliant in his role. But he's just sick to death of fighting on the front line and, you know, putting up with so-called friendly fire from his incompetent comrades uh but all telly savalas wants off and this is great like he's fighting at the front line he just wants to go get some booze and get some women for his men he just wants a little bit of a a bit of a party and he has like this michelin uh, guide um they're they're invading a french town called nancy and he has this michelin guide of the best restaurants and <laughs> hotels and stuff that is that is my kind of war daddy yeah absolutely <laughs> if i'm gonna be anything yeah. that's my that's my guy and uh, you know actually apparently that wasn't too far from the truth the michelin guide apparently was given to u.s troops as a kind of guide around um around towns and stuff like that but i don't think they were using it as a tourist uh, guide like he was um especially as it's so bombed up it probably wouldn't be anything like the party in his head uh but yeah it's looking like they're about to liberate the the, the french town nancy and he's delighted he will finally get a bit of time to let loose and get his men to you know enjoy some booze and enjoy some women <laughs> And stuff like that. <laughs> just when they're ordered off the off there to to go elsewhere, and he he just can't believe it. 
But um, in a daring move and actually a, a scene that opens the movie, Clint Eastwood uh, captures a, a German colonel uh, who's like involved in intelligence and just this daring capture. Um, uh, he captures him from the, the town of Nancy before the, the Allied forces take it over. And while he's chatting to the German colonel, he realised that the German colonel is actually carrying gold bars on him. So Clint Eastwood's interest is immediately uh, picked and he uh, he decides the best way to get the information out of the German is to get absolutely shit-faced <laughs> to, the point, <laughs> to the point where he's going to like emit anything. And just before he collapses, he tells Clint Eastwood there's, uh, there's 14,000 gold bars stored in a bank vault just behind enemy lines in the near, near enough um, town of Clermont. And um, sure, of course, at this, Clint Eastwood is absolutely licking his lips. So he decides to go AWOL, which is just, he, he decides to go AWOL and he wants to go behind enemy lines, uh, behind enemy lines and grab the gold for himself. But of course, to do this, he's going to need a team to help him. And that's where Kelly's heroes step in. And this includes persuading his, his, um, his senior officer, Telly Savalas, uh, to let him take charge. Uh, for a couple of days because they are given a few days off um, by the army because they've been fighting so hard but they have to spend it in a <laughs> no no ruin of a farmhouse with no women around no booze around um so we i think he has an easier time maybe persuading telly savalas to um to completely dis- disobey orders to go rob some gold um Along the way, he also teams up with uh, donald Sutherland he plays oddball really great character in this movie he's like this eccentric um let's say um leader of like leader of a band of hippies basically back in 1944 like you you could say he he's kind of out of he's kind of um he's kind of out of he's in the wrong war basically um, and <laughs> yeah he belongs he stepped out of a time time warp from he, vietnam he, yeah he's so clearly a vietnam because he's clearly on drugs <laughs> and, <laughs> you know he just has a kind of vietnam mentality but it's it's kind of great to see that in a world war ii movie um so he plays oddball he's the the eccentric leader of a bunch of kind of hippies who are really just doing their best to not get involved in the war at all and um, they're just kind of sitting about trying to look busy when officers come by <laughs> so they don't get called into duty um, and the reason why he needs to bring Donald Sutherland on board is because Donald Sutherland and his uh, happy group of hippies have captured three panzer tanks from the Germans, which, as you can imagine, is going to go a long way to help them slip past the enemy lines um, unnoticed. Um, as well as that, you know, the, the, the three main cast members, Clint Eastwood, very much the lead, uh, Teddy Savalas and, and Donald Sutherland. But as well as that, there's a fantastic group of supporting actors, both who are, who are both part of Kelly's Heroes and just part of the wider army of Don Rickles, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, Carol O'Connor, Jeff Morris, and even George uh, Savalas, who's, who's Telly's younger brother. He's in there as well. He plays Mulligan, um, for anyone who's seen the movie, the kind of incompetent uh, mortar officer. But as I said, the three main stars are definitely Clint Eastwood, Telly Savalas, and Donald Sutherland. And, um, you know, unsurprisingly, Clint Eastwood, um, you know, he's, he's the main star of the show, but he kind of plays it straight throughout. Um, your standard kind of Clint Eastwood fare, which allows all the other outrageous characters around him to shine um very much like playing a straight man in a comedy and this movie is a bit of a comedy as well so it, it it's perfect for for clint eastwood to play it straight there um as i said donald sutherland clearly in the wrong war 
longish hair <laughs> um, and he he's even attached loudspeakers to his tank so he can play music when they're in battle um <laughs> and it's telly savalas uh, as well who we know from kojak and um, who loves your baby but you might also know him from the james bond movies you know him from loads of stuff telly savalas is a fantastic uh greek american actor but um he's kind of playing a hothead who just wants he just wants some horse and he just wants some booze. <laughs> That's all he wants. But I think he's really, really funny in this movie. And uh, I, I look, I, I think we just have to play a, a clip of him here because he's hilarious. And where do we spend this vacation? Right here, Sergeant. You kidding? Well, no, I'm not kidding. With a little imagination, you can fix this place up, lay out a baseball diamond, run the water into the back of the house. Special service is coming by with some magazines and paperbacks. We're 10 miles from the nearest town. There's no action. Well, that's the beautiful thing about this location, Sergeant. It's quiet. Get yourselves a suntan, little rest. In three days, we're back in the line. Hey, Captain! We're all ready to move out! Yeah, I'm coming. Go ahead. Captain, there's no booze, there's no broad, there's no action. That's another thing. Don't fool around with the women. Their husbands carry guns. And don't forget the penalty for looting is death. Loot what? There's nothing in a loot! Ah, oh, he's fantastic. He's, he's really, really great in this movie. Um, so yeah, look, Kelly's Heroes, it was directed by Brian G. Hutton, uh, who would mainly be known, he's directed a, a good few other movies, but he'd mainly be known for the two war movies he directed, Kelly's Heroes, of course, and Where Eagles Dare, which was released two years earlier in oh, 1968, yeah. and actually, you know, Clint Eastwood stars in, in that mm. movie as well. Mm. Um, but the, the amazing thing ab about this movie, and I actually found out it's like just recently when I was looking up some a little bit about it is that it's actually based on a true story <laughs> isn't that incredible what? Uh, yeah yeah the story itself is just absolutely insane uh, like it, it was listed as the greatest robbery in robbery on record in the Guinness World Records for almost 50 years um and a lot of it, there was a lot of classified stuff there, but I think a lot of it, uh, the whole story was kind of later told in a 1984 book. So it would have been uh, 14 years after this film came out um, called Nazi Gold, the sensational, the sensational story of the world's greatest robbery and the greatest criminal cover up by Ian Sire and Douglas Botting. I haven't read it myself, but you know the fact that this is based on a true story i think is I've, I've, that is awesome. absolutely absolutely incredible so I, I must check that out but um yeah look we, we you know uh kelly's heroes yes it's a war movie um but really you got to be thinking more oceans 11 than platoon <laughs> it's yeah. a heist think, war movie yeah have yeah. you seen it Sinead? yeah i oh youngs ago now as well yeah. uh it's, but i'll watch anything with clinton it you know Right, it turns up on, on TV on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon mm. quite a bit. Um, I don't know if you can... I don't know if any war movie ends with a pop song, a 70s pop song, <laughs> <laughs> in the same way that Kelly's Heroes does. I mean, it's, it might be a good time to talk about um, the fact that, you know, a lot of these films, war movies, and Kelly's Heroes came out the same year as MASH and um, I don't know if Catch-22... Uh, these were all movies about World War... Well, MASH was about the Korean War, but Catch-22 was about World War Two. But they weren't really. They were about the Vietnam War. And I think mm. Kelly's Heroes as well is a little bit about the Vietnam War. Would yeah. you agree? Mm. Yeah, especially as we said in that character of Oddball, Donald Sutherland's character. It's very clear. Yeah, so I mean, often what happens, especially in Hollywood, is they want to say something about a war that's going on concurrently or at the, at the moment when they're making the movie but they said it in the past I mean this is a, a, 
the only example I can think of, apart from maybe Three Kings, and it has a lot mm. in in common, I guess, with Three Kings, another kind of heist movie set during a during the war. Yeah. Um, uh, um, it's the only one I could think of. I guess it's so light-hearted. I mean, it's not a comedy because I do think it does have stuff to say about about war, but yeah, it there's a lot of laughs in there, mostly from Don Rickles and Teddy Savalas's. Yeah, the, the supporting characters. You're right. There are a yeah. few. Like there is a few. Oh, isn't war hell moments? You know, but yeah, I, it's not enough to afterwards. You're thinking about the, you know, the duality of war and the cruelty yeah. of war. You know, but <laughs> the there's horror, a couple of the yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, as you said, look, it's a perfect like you know Saturday Sunday lazy afternoon kind of movie. I feel like this is a perfect movie for a dad, and I mean any dad, any dad of any age <laughs> would sit down and enjoy this yeah. movie. It's a dad movie completely. Yeah, and that's uh, who introduced me to it because, as you know, yeah. my dad is a big Clint Eastwood fan. And, uh, yeah, that's who I uh, definitely... He, Gary, I think I've seen it a couple of times in the past, but definitely it's been him sitting down on, on a Sunday or something or, <laughs> you know, watching this and, like, you know, me getting an education in uh, movies, particularly Clint yeah. Eastwood movies from my dad. It's, it's funny, you know, what you say about his performance just being so kind of... I don't know if laid back is the word, but I I mean, there's two school of thoughts here that, that he just couldn't be arsed or that. <laughs> and the reason, some people think the reason that he couldn't be arsed, but I don't know if that really uh, stands up is because I think Don Siegel, his longtime collaborator, was supposed to direct it and he was fired. And okay. then this guy, Brian, somebody, uh, uh, he stepped in. Mm. Um, yeah. but I, I think you're right. I think that he played it that way because he was happy to let all of these other characters play it big around yeah. him. So mm. therefore he had to play it level. And there is, there is like um, some kind of nods to maybe some of his earlier spaghetti Westerns. Um, because in, as far as I've got in Clint Eastwood's early career, it seems to me that it's kind of, there, there's his early spaghetti Westerns um, and then he had Westerns kind of continue out for the next, I don't know, 15 years maybe after that, but uh, 15, 20 years maybe. But he had, um, then he had a couple of war movies, Kelly's Heroes, where he goes there. And then he kind of, in the later part of, say, the, the you know, when he got into the 80s, then he was on to the crime movies mm. or the cop movies. Um, so I, it seemed to me like the war movies were a bit of a transition. But you still do see some kind of nods to spaghetti westerns in this movie, particularly in a scene near the end where they were approaching um, an enemy tiger tank. Um, in 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 the in in the town, and it's Donald Sutherland, Telly Savalas, and Clint Eastwood walking down to meet the tank, very much like they're about to do a standoff. You know, it's very much it could, it's a scene that wouldn't be out of place. Um, tank, you know, excluded in something <laughs> like the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or something like that. But another thing I like about this movie is it's a war movie uh, about American troops, but it doesn't show them as heroes like i know it's called yeah. kelly's heroes but it's a bunch of soldiers that soldiers that abandon their posts ignore orders <laughs> try to avoid conflict um you know in some cases even collaborate with the enemy in a bid for personal gain and so it's not afraid to show allied troops as flawed greedy selfish human beings not necessarily the brave infallible patriots willing to sacrifice themselves for their country which i think is you know maybe probably a bit more honest of it yeah and refreshing you know, to see maybe you know <laughs> especially for a movie in the 1970s you yeah know. yeah definitely good pick 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I really hope that you're going to finish with that. But you went on to have another really interesting thing to say. But <laughs> when you're talking about Clint and his different kind of, you know, Clint is you think about Clint, you think about westerns, or you think about uh, as you say the latter part of his career, the the crime movies. But you know, there were these few World War. Uh, two movies in in the in the middle there and mm. the film that i'm going to be talking about is a is a starring an actor who you don't really think about connected well you do but you really kind of think about it connected to to crime and film noir and the film is sahara from 1943 directed by zoltan korda there's a name to conjure with yeah and uh, starring wow. and he's a very well-known director you certainly would have seen some of his films and him and his brother alexander korda were hungarian directors who moved to hollywood and made a real name for themselves there but it of course stars humphrey bogart who we, mm. we would be used to seeing in a fedora and trench coat but in this world war ii era movies movie Sahara, he plays the commander a sergeant uh, commanding a tank crew in the libyan desert um, so it came out in 1943. It's interesting because the um, events that it depicts happened only a year before in 1942 during the uh, North American campaign. And apart from Humphrey, it stars uh, actors Bruce Bennett, J. Carroll Nash, Lloyd Bridges, uh, Rex Ingram and an actor called Richard Nugent or Richard Ahern, which was his bir uh, birth name. Richard Nugent, I think, was his stage name. And he was born in Dublin. And he plays uh, yeah. he plays an uh, an upper class uh, British uh, captain, I think, in this. But he Mickey. can't really disguise his his Irish accent. He does it. mention it as well in the in the film. They're all talking about where they're born, and I remember hearing Dublin. I was like, "What?" Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it follows uh, the uh, exploits of this tank. So during um, a uh, Sorry, let me just find my notes here. Ross put me off there by getting involved in a conversation. <laughs> like, normal, like, like normal people do. I know, I'm saying it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, here we go. So, we have uh, Humphrey Bogart as a tough American sergeant commanding a tank crew in the Libyan desert. And they're joined by a handful on their way as they are told to retreat. They pick up a handful of British troops and a Sudanese soldier. Um, and they also end up saddled with a pair of POWs, an Italian uh, and a German uh, fighter pilot who they end up uh, shooting down. So rather than leave them to die in the desert, because Bogey is he's, he's rugged, he's manly, but he also has a heart. Well, not a heart, but he has morals. So he says he's going to bring them with them with them. They're going to go on the way to back to to command back to the uh, the allied lines Um, his tank. His M3 tank is called Lulabelle. We find out it's named after his great love, which was a, a racehorse. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a name. You know, all the names of the tanks that we have, like, you know, Fury, yeah. the Beast. The Beast. Lulabelle. And now we have Lulabelle. So <laughs> he brings Lulabelle. When, when I heard that read out, and, or when I heard that in the movie, he said, it's named after a horse, but I heard it's named after a whore. <laughs> <laughs> of course it did. Okay. Um... So he brings uh, his tank Lulabelle back through the African waste and retreats uh, before the advancing Nazi lines 
uh, and then they end up making a, a, a kind of a last stand if you like um like i say this this film was made during world war Two. it was made uh, one year after the events of el alamein which it kind of uh, in the fringes it's it's about that um so as you would expect it is uh, a propaganda movie it celebrates valor it cel celebrates sacrifice um but what it also does i think and it has a lot in common with the other tank movies that we talked about maybe not kelly's heroes um, <laughs> it also talks a little bit about you know the the things the uh, uh, the horrific things in war and the sacrifices that need to be made if you want to win um and the idea that i think of above all the movies that we're talking about the idea that you need to retain some kind of moral center and regard for the life of your comrades and the life of your enemy combatants in order to balance kind of patriotism or balance like what are you fighting for if you're going to be as bad as the enemy so we talked about kind of horrific um acts war crimes i think you called them ross that um these characters uh, i think both in the beast and in fury are are uh, made to to commit very early on in the film which make us think a little bit of, different about them there's none of that in here because Humphrey Bogart is the the he, he plays a character called Joe Gunn and if you're going to be a tank commander then Joe yeah, Gunn's a pretty a name. good name <laughs> yeah uh, but he he is very as I say he's the moral center of this movie and he keeps everybody kind of together and on the same uh, path and like I say you've got all of these other nationalities, some of them, uh, the like the Italian prisoner of war that they that they uh, end up uh, adopting, um, they are combatants. Um, but you've got all of these nationalities um, that have to unite against this common enemy. Um, so, right. So what do we have? So uh, we have them heading across the desert, trying to get away. Um, they're in search of water. Um, they're being they on the way they find this uh sudanese um soldier who has uh this italian uh, pow and they they ask him to take them uh to find a well basically so they end up going to an old fort which turns out to be dry they decide they're going to wait there for supplies but they also find out that there's a german battalion on the way who also think that there's water in this fort um by today's standards, if you're going to watch it, like, I don't know, you, you probably watched it recently for this. Did you, Ross? I did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you had seen the remake. Yeah, I suppose my how I'd originally seen it was I caught it, and this is a, a weird way to have watched a movie like Sahara. I, uh, they, they remade it in 1995. It was a made-for-television tele action yep. war film, American-Australian production with James Belushi uh, playing the role of Humphrey Bogart. And I watched that, and I was so impressed by that movie. And I hadn't thought about it for years. And when you suggested this movie, that's immediately what you, I thought, you thought what that's I thought the of. one that, yeah. that I had to... I but, picked, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I since went back but, uh, and, and watched the thing. Watched yeah, the yeah. Um, but th there are some of it. I mean, when we look at it now, and it is like I say, a movie that was made to, um, for the for the people at home to kind of go, our guys out there fighting the war doing a great job. Some of it seems a little bit calculated, you know. Um, there's one scene with um down the well with with one of the soldiers, and he's talking to the Sudanese character about the number of wives that he has, and yeah. you kind of go, it's a little bit kind of written by a scriptwriter as opposed yeah. to an actual natural scene. But from a movie from 1943, you can absolutely 
forgive that. Uh, it's also really, a, apart from a propaganda film, it's a really great adventure movie. It's really well written. It's really well directed. And it's got some great action sequences, I think. And it's photographed really well. I think um, I would have loved to have seen it in colour. But I think they make good use of the black and white. There's stories, when I after I'd seen it, I kind of looked up a little bit of the background, of them spray painting shadows in the sand dunes so that they would show up more on camera. And, you know, dyeing sand a certain colour so that it ran down when it ran down the sand dunes it would look a certain way um 1943 was a very big year for Humphrey Bogart um because Casablanca came out which I guess you could also call a war movie um and um he would he, he made a, a handful as everybody did at that time make uh war movies because that's what people that's what certainly the the government wanted people to go and see and they wanted more war movies with a with a a real a patriotic message um but i think this is this is one that is really really excellent it it uh it is absolutely a a great movie if you get a chance to see it's uh the tank kind of only plays a part in the first half of the movie i think when they get to the to the fort then it's less about the tank and more about the people but by then you've learned all about the, the tank crew and the people that they picked up on the way uh, Sahara from 1943 a great film as Ross said remade in 1995 I have seen that I think it's a really good film as well I have to say usually I like to say uh, remakes are terrible Jim mm. Belushi is no Humphrey Bogart but he does a pretty good job they it's almost a shot-for-shot shot remake. Yeah, in, I was thinking yeah. There, was, there was a lot of scenes that I that I remembered in my head that played out exactly as I remembered them, except this yeah. time it was in black and white. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, if you've got a, a classic, then don't mess with it. That's what I'd say. Absolutely. But yeah, great. And it's a fantastic. What I loved about this movie as well, but is usually war movies. There, what they're trying to do, like the the drama is all built around people being thirsty, you know, in a desert, mm -hmm. which I think is incredible because it's a whole different level of tension to it. It, it adds desperation to the German troops. Um, you're you're so relieved when they finally begin to get some water. Like it's, I think it's such an interesting element to put into into a, a war movie. Um, where they're kind of fighting against time and also to make sure they have enough water to survive. So now, it's time to murder a scene. It's time to murder a scene. And uh, we struggled, let's just give everyone a peek behind the curtain here, we struggled to come up with another tank movie. So, yeah, uh, it's true. It, like, there's lots of films about submarines. There's lots of films yeah. about destroyers. Yeah. Lots of films about the air force. Not a lot of films about tanks. But we we did our best. We did. Yeah. So we went to uh, an old favorite, <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, of course, has a famous tank scene. Um. So we thought, well, why not murder that one? Yes. Okay, are we going to play? Okay, so here's a little taster. A very small taster. Very small, blink and you'll miss it taster. More of an appetizer. Genius of the restoration. And action. Marcus! Ah, ooh! Genius of the restoration. 
Hang on. Okay, I'm gonna stop you there. You're doing really well. You're doing you're doing great. My page froze, sorry. Yeah, no, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So see, see this now, this genius of the restoration in our own yeah. resuscitation. This is a, a college kind of handshake thing that they did, right? Okay. So they know it. So it's like genius of the restoration. Oh, I get you, sorry. Resuscitation. <laughs> okay. Okay, gotcha. Okay. And what's my guy's voice like again? He's just British. Just do a British accent. Aid our own resuscitation. Okay, that's good. But no, but it's more sing songy. It's more. Ba, 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 do we both ba, say ba, ba, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, you no. say aid our resuscitation, and I yeah. say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ba, 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 ba. Okay, let's go from the. Okay, top. so they're greasing each other. That's what's happening. They are, yes. Okay. That's it. They're, okay. they're all college friends. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and action. Marcus! Oh, ooh. Genius of the Restoration. Aid our own resuscitation. Henry, what are you doing here? It's a rescue, old boy. Come on. Uh, Search him. What is in this book? That miserable little diary of yours. Uh, Here is the map. The book is useless. And yet you come all the way back to Berlin to get it. Why? What are you hiding? What are you hiding? What does this diary tell you that it doesn't tell us? It tells me stepping morons like yourself should try reading books instead of burning them. Colonel, Jones is getting away. I think not, Herr Donovan. Not that Jones, the other Jones. Scene. Scene. <laughs> Very short, confusing scene out of context. <laughs> I, I wasn't confused at all. I mean, have you not seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade 79 times? Like <laughs> what I remember from that more so is the absolutely awesome tank chase scene with him on a horse and, you know, I know incredible. But it's scene. difficult. It's very difficult for us to Ta- do that audibly. <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it we acted it out, but it just didn't end up well. That's why we cut it from the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. who's who's got to edit this if you can fix it in post that'd be great yeah let's fix it in post let it absolutely um hope you enjoyed our special tank movie episode and a big thank you to nick who reached out to us we hope that you nick enjoyed our views on a movie that you hold dear we would love to extend the invitation to anyone else out there so if you have a movie that you love that's kind of gone off the radar reach out get in touch with us through our social media channels till next time film fans bye see you with the movies you see marvel have nicked that off me (gasps) literally stole that off me i know when the movies open again. You know what that means? DC is probably going to steal. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down and grab a glass. Sinead Ross and I'll have made a podcast. It's the real take, breaking it down. Having fun and talking movies. Talking movies. You have been listening to The Real Take, presented by Sinead Brassel, Ross Leahy, and Niall O'Brien. Our music was provided by actor, artist, and musician Will Guppy. You can find him on Instagram at will.guppy. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Real Take Podcast. 
If you would like to contact us to tell us how fantastic we are, you can reach us at therealtakepodcast at gmail.com. See you at the movies. <laughs>